So last weekend, I started a series uh, called Identity Crisis, and it is built entirely off of the book of Ephesians. And Ephesians is split basically into two sections. The first half is all about establishing your identity in Christ and what we are placing our identity in. Uh, far too often we are trying to find you know, the, our core being in other things and temporary things. And, and those will fail us. And so Paul is writing this book from prison to a church he helped start uh, a few years earlier. And it's in a city called Ephesus. So that's why it's a, a letter to the church. It's called Ephesians. And the first half of it is all about establishing that identity of who you are. And if you can establish who you are, then and as, a, as a child of God, then you can really begin to build your life off of that. But if you don't have that foundational truth of, I am a child of God and I am what Scripture says that I am, we will constantly be trying to find our identity in other things. We are identity-seeking machines, basically. And if it's not in God, it's going to be in something else. And so if we establish that, Paul then breaks the book or the letter basically in half He then says, how then should we live? If we are children of God, how then should we live? And that happens at Ephesians 3. So Ephesians 3 is a bit of a transitional chapter. So I'm actually going to be preaching out of Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 the next three weekends. But if we establish that identity... And we are who, and we believe that we are what God's word says we are, that should impact how we live. And if it doesn't, then the gospel really hasn't penetrated deeply into your life yet. You may be a believer, and that's fine, but you may be young spiritually, not just physically. And Paul gets into that in Ephesians 4. So that's where we're going to be. We're going to be in a couple different sections today. I'm going to start with verse 1. And he says, As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. What do you think he's trying to get across? Right? One. Be one. Live a life worthy of the calling that you have. You can't break your life into two different pieces where you have, I believe this, but I don't act this. And he gets into the, the imagery of the, of the body and how, you know, Jesus Christ is the head and we are the hands and feet of Christ. He talks through this chapter about the roles in the church, apostles, elders, teachers, uh, pastors, those sorts of uh, roles that we can all play in the body of Christ. But later on, he talks about if we do these things, if we have established our identity, in verse 14 he says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. 
He, if the language of the body is throughout the entire book, and he's establishing what our roles are, what things we get to do, and as Christ is the head, and if we get that, then that is how you can set your core identity. But verse 14 is kind of a fascinating piece of scripture to me, so let's look at that. Then we'll no longer be infants, tossed around by, every, by back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by the wind of teaching, any wind, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their, deceit, and their deceitful scheming. Babies make poor decisions, right? Toddlers make really poor decisions. <laughs> I remember when Lindsay and I were having our first baby. I'm the youngest of my entire family, of all the cousins of everybody. So I'd never really been around babies at all. I'd never babysat anybody. I was the one who got to be babysat by everybody else. So Lindsay looked at me one day and said, we need to go take a class. Because you probably, I don't know how many babies you've held and you're getting ready to have one. Right? So, okay. And I don't know if they still do these classes or whatever, but it was the most terrifying class that I had ever sat through because it was during that time when basically anything at any moment could hurt your baby. Right? So you, you, when they sleep, no pillows, no blankets, you just leave them in the middle of the room, take every toy out, and walk out and hope that they're still there the next day. <laughs> And that was basically how we, how, that's what I got out of that class, was you're entering the most terrifying season of your life. And we got out of there, and Izzy was born, and we're making it work, and Lindsay went to the store, and this is right when Izzy starts to crawl. She was only going backwards. Sometimes babies only kind of go backwards. And um, so I'm there, and that's a great time for a dad, because babies, they, you put them somewhere, and they stay. Unbeknownst to me, um, is he learned something. So I went in to grab a cup of coffee and in the kitchen because the baby's just going to be there. I come back around and she's gone. And she had learned to roll. And wasn't a slow learner. So once she got one, she just rolled. Right? And she rolled all the way under the couch. And got stuck there. And I remember walking into the room going, I just lost a baby, right? I found her underneath the couch, told her later on, you know, how good a dad I am. And it's just this memory of we can take children and put them in any situation. Like there's infants, he's, what he's talking about is infants are, they, they just go with whatever's around them. And he's saying this spiritually, if you're spiritually immature, you will just go with whatever new doctrine or whatever new teaching is around. Because what do you know? The, the, the professional is saying the scripture says this. And so you, then he says, they're blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people, people and their deceitful scheming. Saying so you need to grow up. Because what was happening was after every time Paul would plant a church, he would go on to another city, there would be a group that would follow behind him. And they would, he would establish his church, he would teach them the ways of Christ, and then he would go on to another city, and they would come behind him and say, hey, you have to do, there's some other things you don't know yet. And these were things that were outside of what Jesus was talking about. But what do they know? They're spiritually immature. And they would, he would 
constantly be fighting this group. They were called the Judaizers. And they would constantly be fighting this group because they were saying, basically, in order to become a Christian, you had to become a Jew first. Which is interesting, but it also requires surgery. And that was kind of a deal breaker for a lot of guys. Well, I don't want to, I like Jesus, but if it's going to involve that, um, I'm good. And so that was what they were teaching them. And you have to keep the dietary laws. You have to do this and this. You can't mix fabrics. You have to take all the Mosaic law and glom it on to Christianity. And that's exact, Jesus said the exact opposite of that. He was the fulfillment of the law. But they were spiritually immature. So he goes on and he says, So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. Basically, this is Paul saying, let's go to Ephesians 4, 17. Pay attention, is what he's saying. I insist on this. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding. They are separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. They don't know. Basically, he's saying they don't know the truth. They've lost all sensitivity They've given themselves over to the sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted, actively being corrupted, by its deceitful desires. You need to be made new in the attitude of your mind. Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Put on the new self, created to be like... So that's an action that you have to physically put on your new self. Because if you don't, the world will consume you. The war, it, will, it will consume your, your old identity is constantly battling this new identity that you find in Christ. And unless you are intentionally putting on this new uh, part of you, then you will be slowly consumed by the world. So how do you do that? Sometimes these scriptures are like, okay, that's cool. How do I do any of this? How do I put on the old self, take off the old self, put on the new self? That's a neat image. And he's saying, I, I must no longer live as the Gentiles do. And so what we normally do is we start making a list of things that we need to stop doing. That's your old self. Your old self is a list. So I can't do this anymore. I can't do this. I need to stop doing this. I need to stop doing this. And so we think we can behavior modify our way into Jesus' good graces. If we just fix our behavior, then we can get close to God. When in reality, if we get close to God, we will slowly push the bad behavior off. So we're trying to go from the outside. We always are always trying to go from the outside in. When in reality, we just need to get as close to Jesus as we possibly can. And out of that will be born this fruit of good behavior, of morality. And we're trying to, you know, kind of behavior modify our way into morality. And that works for a little while. Sometimes you can just 
will good behavior. How's everybody's New Year's resolution going? How long does that work for? I heard somebody the other day saying, I had a New Year's resolution to lose 15 pounds, and the good news is I've only got 25 more to go. <laughs> right? But I can do it by the end of the year. That is the fruit of behavior modification. You just try to fix it, and you're, you're solid to like February, maybe. You might make it to March. You're doing the things, but your old self will constantly be trying to consume you. You need to change. You need to fix your entire identity and attach it to, to something new, and that is Jesus Christ. And out of that identity change will be born this fruit. So the way that you do that is by getting into the Word of God consistently and studying it and learning about it. Because uh, let's go to verse 14 again for me with the, the, the baby one. Look what he says here right after. You'll be no longer tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people, people and their deceitful scheming. I can make scripture say whatever I want it to say. And I can get it by you if you don't know it. If you don't know it. So that, that's the beauty in having a biblically sound, not just pastor, but congregation. Because I could be up here spouting nonsense all day long because this is what I want the scriptures to say. And if I don't have a biblically sound congregation, I could make a great Tom church. But I don't want a Tom church. I want a church that follows Jesus. And so in our community, we get to check one another. I do this fairly consistently with my associate pastor when I say, you know, hey, I was reading this this week. What's your call on that? Because I'm getting ready to get up and teach this to a congregation. I don't want to be wrong. So I, and I check this with him, he checks stuff with me, and Lindsay and I kind of go back and forth on the meaning of certain scriptures and things like that, because it, it is something that we take seriously because we want to get as close to Jesus as we can, but I don't want to get as close to my interpretation of it. Have you ever noticed the Bible always agrees with you? So whoever, you know, the thing that, you, that you're really passionate about, the Bible's really passionate about that. So we, we are constantly reading ourselves into the text because we want it to say certain things. And if we have a congregation of infants or, or a, a, Christi a Christianity of infants, uh, put that verse up for me, 14, they'll be you'll be tossed back and forth by whatever the current thing is. Now this is Paul about 20 years after the ascension. He's writing this letter. 20 years, and they, so there are people still around, and leave this up for me, there's people that are still around that saw Jesus, heard Jesus, sat with Jesus, and even then, they were dealing with false teaching. So, 
For the next few hundred years from this point on, there will be heresy after heresy. There will be questions about, is Jesus really divine? Or did he do those miracles? Or was, is he like the, the vice president of the Trinity? Or how does this work? And the Holy Spirit is like regional manager. They're trying to figure out how that all worked. And so eventually, they do write down their big doctrinal creeds. And that fixed stuff for about 10 years. Then another false teaching would appear. And so we have been dealing with false teaching after false teaching for 2,000 years. So what the, because of this, because congregations especially, and this is why we don't have any excuse now, congregations especially back then had no access to scripture and a lot of, them, of, of us were illiterate. So priests and pastors could have a great time up here. Hey, here's what the Bible says. Trust me. Because I'm the only one that has it. So you can get a lot of weird doctrine out of that. Now, on your phone, you have every version of every Bible ever made ever. How often did we open it this week? How often did we kind of get as close to Jesus as we can by the in-depth studying of Scripture, just reading it, saying, God, I want to know what you meant by this? Or do you have a trusted friend that you can kind of talk faith matters through? Or I'm struggling with this Scripture and what it means, or, or I'm struggling with what the culture is saying about Christianity, what, they're trying to define what we believe, and I honestly don't know enough to give a good rebuttal. What do you think? It's in those moments, and it's in those communities that your faith gets stronger. Like, it's really good to have a running buddy, because they keep you accountable. They, they hold you accountable to say, hey, 7 a.m. tomorrow, and you're like, no. Right? But if you have a spouse or a loved one or a Bible study every Tuesday at 6 o'clock and you have friends there that will call you and say, why weren't you there? I got busy. What were you doing? The new episode of The Bachelor was on. <laughs> right? And so you have those moments where you say, hey, I need to take this more seriously because I am trying to get as close to Jesus as I can because I need, I need to reflect him to the world. Uh, go to uh, verse 1 for me. I'm sorry, verse 7, uh, 18. Ah. I tell you this and I insist on it. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding. They don't know. They are separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. They've lost all sensitivity. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and their full greed. They're going to do what they're going to do. But you know. We can get upset all day long with what non-believers do. Okay. But believers that have access to the word of God and know the word of God and study the word of God and teach the word of God, and if we're still acting like the world, what are we doing? It's basically what he's saying. He's saying, in verse nine, let's go to verse 20. He says, that, however is not the way of life you have learned. You know better. 
Toddlers don't. Babies don't. You know better. You know the, the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You know better. Have you ever seen, you know, toddlers, when you see them, kind of, they first start walking and they start, start uh, Gideon, my son, had a constant bruise on his forehead. Um, just, he just kept running into stuff. Eventually, he said, he'll learn. You know, now he goes too fast and now he's got constant scraped knees. He'll learn. Are we? Or do we have a constant bruise on our forehead or constant scraped knees because we keep doing the same foolish, infantile business because we're not growing up? Are we still babies? Are we still toddlers? Or do, we have, have, do you want to be a spiritually mature believer that will not get knocked around by all kinds of nonsense that's getting taught in churches and in the world today? We have to be in the word of God. And that's what he's saying is you have to live a life worthy of the calling that he has upon you. So, Ephesians 5 next week. If you know Ephesians 5, you know I'm going to step on some toes. It's kind of fun. So, we're not afraid of it. We'll embrace the controversial stuff sometimes. So, would you join me next week? I'd love to have you. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we ask for your blessings upon us and our families. May we, the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, with you as the head of this church, may we constantly be trying to stay faithful to what you have taught us. The world will be pulling us in many different directions. Y'all, through false teaching or false living, and and that's just going to be there. We just need to be as strong and faithful to you as possible. And that's by diving into your word learning the scriptures, and believing what it says about us, that we are children of God, and we are no longer infants. We need to be growing, getting stronger every day. May we see the true value in understanding that, and living a life worthy of the calling that you have upon us. We pray all of this in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen.